Welcome to the Arch Mortgage Insurance Policy Cast, where I chat with the nation's foremost thought leaders in housing policy. People who are influencing how and where we live, determining how much it costs to build or buy a home, and which families become homeowners or renters. I'm Kirk Willison. We've witnessed a dramatic transformation in mortgage originations over the past decade. Commercial banks, long the leader in making home loans to Americans, have largely exited the business. Goodbye megabanks, hello independent mortgage banks. Today, more than 6 in 10 home loans are originated by IMBs. And when it comes to government-insured loans at the FHA and VA, IMBs now produce roughly nine in every 10 loans. Few people have seen this change up close, like Scott Olson. After a 20-year career as a Capitol Hill staffer, mostly serving the House Financial Services Committee, Scott now runs the Community Home Lenders of America, a trade group representing smaller IMBs and a few community banks. And while the organization may be small in number, it is large in impact. CHLA is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to advocating before housing regulators and Congress. I sat down with Scott to talk about the unique challenges facing smaller IMBs and CHLA's priorities for 2023 to keep them competitive going forward. Well, Scott Olson, thank you very much for uh, for joining the Arch Mortgage Insurance Policy Cast today. It's really a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, Scott, let, let's start off. For people tuning in, what is the Community Home Lenders of America? Who do you represent? And, and approximately how many lenders are your members? Thanks, Kirk. Well, we're sort of a new and kind of an old organization. Uh, CHLA represents the merger last August of the Community Home Lenders Association and the Community Mortgage Lenders of America. So for uh, Monty Python fans, that used to be the People's Front of Judea and the Judean People's Front in terms of keeping them apart. So it's a lot easier now that we've combined them. And now it's that we took parts of each name. It's the Community uh, Home Lenders of America, it's still CHLA, but we're we're bigger and stronger. And uh, I think because we're now bigger and stronger by merging, uh, we actually have more combined members today than the two of the organizations a year ago, in spite of the fact that this is one of the worst markets for uh, mortgage lending that we've seen in a long time. So, uh, Scott, how, how does it differ from the Mortgage Bankers Association? Sure. So we only represent mortgage lender servicers, and we uh, effectively only uh, we're basically overwhelmingly IMBs. We have a, you know a couple small banks, but our perspective is that um, there are a lot of issues that uh, separate very large lenders from very small lenders. For example, you know, uh, in terms of uh, new financial requirements for the Fannie Freddie and for uh, Ginny May. Our argument is that there's for for our profile of members, there's like almost no systemic risk, no no taxpayer risk. Um, it's just a different kettle of fish than the very large, even the very large IMBs 
And so our, our focus and our, our messaging and our, our advocacy is all geared towards small and maybe small to mid-sized mortgage lender servicers and advocating very fiercely for that position as opposed to you know, some of the, the very large mega lenders. Uh, Scott, since uh, CHLA has been formed, the mortgage industry has really seen an incredible uh, transformation. Uh, IMBs now dominate uh, the, the, the mortgage lending these days. They originate more than six in every 10 loans. Uh, and in fact, it seems every day that large banks are reducing their exposure to, to mortgage lending. What's causing this trend? Kirk, I think uh, there's some there's some answers to that. And I think the, the basic one is just our model is completely different. All we do, all IMBs do is originate and service loans. So if and we primarily focus on FHA, Fannie Freddie, rural housing service and so on. So if if our firm can find a, a borrower that qualifies for one of those loans, we're going to make a loan. Um, in contrast, the banks, particularly coming out of the 2008 crisis, uh, used things like credit overlays, said, we don't really want you until you, unless you're like a 680 or a 700 FICO score. We don't really necessarily, we're not going to try to market to you uh, just because of the loan. We want to cross-sell insurance products. We want to cross-sell security projects. The golden uh, consumer for them is a well-heeled borrower, uh, a well-heeled consumer. The golden consumer for us is anyone that qualifies for a mortgage loan. So uh, would you say those are the competitive advantages that the fact that uh, you are, you can really essentially just focus on borrowers who are deserving of credit and, and not worry about any of the, uh, the extracurricular activities? I think that's true. Um, I, 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 um, I think that that's true in the origination side it's um, you know in some ways more challenging on the regulatory side where you know there's some incredible disparities that we don't understand. Like every uh, loan originator that works for an IMB has to, and I have to remember this to tick everything off. You have to pass to get a license. You have to pass 20 hours of pre-licensing. You have to pass an independent background check. You have to pass the Safe Act test. You have to do eight hours of continuing education this year. The 400 or 300,000 loan originators that work on banks aren't subject to any of that. In fact, there's thousands of uh, registered bank loan originators that failed the test, and we don't get that. So we feel like there's, um, there are, there is, and also the same thing in CFPB regulation. There's 98% um, of banks are exempt from CFPB supervision. Every IMB is subject to C CFPB supervision included. So I think on the regulatory front, there's some some disadvantages, but that's okay because I feel like um, you know we're we're very strong uh, on uh, you know in compliance and 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 um, serving consumers. So you know all we'd like is some appropriate you know so small business streamlining from agencies like the CFPB. So, so you have some unique challenges in that. I mean, obviously, you, you also don't have the, the marketing power that a lot of the, the large commercial banks have. What, what is it that the IMBs, particularly the smaller IMBs, need to do to stay competitive far into the future? And, and kind of along that theme, since this show is called the Policy Cast, what are your policy priorities for 2023 at the associations? So in the short run, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said this isn't a very difficult environment for IMBs for uh, 
you know, the mortgage volume has fallen off a cliff because, you know, mortgage rates last year, they doubled, they've come down a little bit since then. But, um, you know, the volume has shrunk. Now, the good news is, unlike 2008, where you had all these uh, people like Lehman and Bear Stearns that had assets, real estate assets that were crushed and, and caused them to go belly up, our IMBs don't, their business model doesn't work that way. We originate it alone and we sell it off, either securitize it or sell it to an aggregator. So there's, there's not the same level of risk in the sense that, you know, what we've had to do, what IMBs have had to do, and unfortunately you see a lot of it, is they have to downsize. They have to make their, they have to right size their, their expenses with the new lower loan volume. And that's a very painful process. A lot of people have lost their jobs. It's unfortunate, but that's that's the that's the short-term challenge. Now, I think these things always go in cycle. And so, you know, we're bullish, you know, a year out and so on. We're gonna see hopefully rates come down a little bit. Um, and you know, we're, you know, firms are are having to do, you know, go after and figure out even more creative ways to find qualified borrowers, particularly underserved and minority borrowers. In the intermediate term, our policy agenda is focused on the, the more difficult challenge that we face is that for the, the, our members that are servicers, it comes with an obligation to be a bank, but we don't have any of the tools to be a bank. In other words, what people maybe don't understand, particularly with Ginny May, is if a borrower, if you're servicing loans, Ginny May loans, if you're an issuer, and they don't make a payment, you're their banker. You have to advance the money into the Ginny May pool. So at the same time, we don't have, you know, FDIC insurance. We don't have federal home loan bank advances. We don't have access to the Fed window. So it's particularly important that um, policymakers that are trying to create a, a, a broad base of issue of, of lenders and servicers have reasonable financial policies when it comes to, say, Ginnie Mae uh, issuer requirements or Fannie Freddie seller servicer requirements, as we said. So, so for example, not only so, Scott, let, let me let me see if we can dig into that just a little deeper here. Since the 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 mortgage servicing industry really dodged a, a bullet during the pandemic because of uh, falling interest rates and fees earned by high demand for refinance loans, really kept their coffers filled with with cash, and that really enabled the servicers to continue to advance payments to uh, to investors. Policymakers rejected calls for a special facility to help servicers weather this storm. You made it through, but how confident are you that the industry could repeat that performance if delinquencies start to increase significantly? Well, I guess I'll quote from FDR, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I mean, I think that the, the one of the things that Ginny did is they put up this PTAP facility that was a standby authority. Now, you, as you mentioned, there are a lot of reasons why IMBs didn't have problems then in servicing. But the other thing it did was it created confidence. It created confidence that when people aren't going to pull the plug on our issuers, and instead there's a standby thing that give warehouse lenders confidence that we'll be there. And so we've been asking, uh, as a policy point of view, for a more permanent facility that's not to replace warehouse lending, but to something that says, okay, if you're a, a solvent, if you know, Ginnie Mae issuer, and you have difficulty in meeting advances because the market's going to hell in a handbasket or you know, your, your borrower profile, you're, you're doing more to help underserved borrowers, so your default rates are higher, let's say, 
that there ought to be a facility that to, to keep those issuers in the game as opposed to just pulling the plug. And so that's been one of our, it's a fine line. We're not asking for bailouts. We're asking for help in playing that role of being a banker to defaulted borrowers for otherwise solvent IMVs. And, and, and similarly, we've been advocating on the federal home loan bank front to allow advances you know, in a similar vein. And 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 those are uh, certainly un under review right now at the uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which has given a, a wholesale look at uh, the, the future of the federal home loan banks. Uh, on uh, again, going back to the risk, uh, various regulatory agencies have have tried to uh, look at the future, seeing that non banks are playing a much bigger role. And, and have uh, tried to create capital standards. Talk a little bit, if you would, about sure. your, your concerns on some of the proposals involving capital standards for IMBs. So one of the reasons that CHLA exists is, as I said, to advocate for this segment of the market. And so we've not been hesitant to say, look, there's a difference between one of the mega servicers, one of the mega issuers and our, and our members not, there's not the same, there's, there's no real systemic risk for us. We're not, we're not willing to say that if a couple of the very large servicers, whether bank or non-bank, went out of business, there wouldn't be problems. So what we're saying, and we're really delighted that we're starting to see this, I think it was the, the, the FHFA established, uh, or maybe it was Ginny May, I'm sorry, I'm losing it, but separate standards for what they call large servicers, large issuers, that reflected these differences. And so we think that's that's really important in regulatory policy because ultimately it's the, the consumers benefit by having this strong market of broad-based issuers. You know, in, tw in 2020, the, 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 some of the aggregators headed for the hills they, because of the uncertainties around COVID and so on. And the people that were still hanging in there were the people that could directly, you know, securitize Ginnie Mae FHA loans and directly, you know, uh, operate in, in Fannie Fred. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that risk because many of your uh, institutions or, or IMBs have relied on some of the larger commercial banks to, to sell their product into. Um, are you concerned about uh, some of the large banks getting out of the mortgage industry? We are. Uh, on the other hand, you know, co competition being what it is, the, as one or two like like Wells drops out, other people are going to it's going to be maybe a little more profitable for others. So I don't think we're going to see the market fall out. But that's exactly the point is we want to have a we want to have a broad market um, uh, for uh, of people that can directly originate and uh, directly securitize in the market. By the way, you're talking about the risk. Um, I guess I'll quote Sherlock Holmes, the, the dog that didn't, the, didn't bark in the night. So this is, you've had a, a stream of headlines over the last several months of, of IMBs um, going out of business, uh, consolidating, laying off people. Where has been the systemic problems from that? Uh, we, uh, we don't really see it. Uh, you know, I think we've we've seen some scare tactics over the years that IMBs are risky. And so we've spent a lot of time at CHLA pushing back against that, because what we've seen is the natural progression. IMBs are downsizing to adjust to this market. It's painful, but it's 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 not causing dislocations. 
Let's turn to some recent announcements by the Federal Housing Finance Agency, the regulator for, for Fannie and Freddie. What are CHLA's views about recent changes in upfront mortgage fees for loans purchased by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Well, CHLA, I think, shares the same objectives as Arch and other MIs in the business is that, you know, we're here to serve the market. We're here to serve underserved borrowers particularly. And so overall, our public position has been the changes have been a positive one. They've kind of been counter a long historical uh, uh, movement. In other words, you know, I remember when I was working on the Financial Services Committee 14 years ago, we were debating whether or not to do risk-based pricing for FHA. In other words, where you charge a lot more for, for borrowers that are underserved, riskier, and in fact, what, what Sandra Thompson at FHA done is moved in the other direction. So we've gone too far in that direction. We're going to provide pricing advantages for first-time home buyers and emphasize, you know, affordability in that, in that segment. So overall, we're happy about the direction that she's made. I mean, obviously, we're disappointed that it's meant, you know, increases for certain borrowers, but we sort of understand that. On the other hand, the latest round of, of, of changes, we have one particular concern. We just don't think it makes sense to have different pricing based on whether or not you're above or below 40% DTI, because it's, it's very complex. It can undermine confidence. You start, a pro, you start a loan, you thought they were below 40%. You find out certain things change during the underwriting process. You have to go back to them and say, sorry, <laughs> we're going to have to hit you up with you know, higher fees. Or you start out, you say, you quote them fees, uh, the assumption you're above it, and that's, you're being too conservative. So we see that as problematic. And so we see the whole pricing thing as an ongoing process. And we're going to be basically making the case, can you smooth this out a little bit by getting rid of the DTI and finding other measurements to accomplish the same revenue targets you have? Well, one of the things that you uh, really speak uh, eloquently about uh, and include in your uh, your annual report on uh, IMBs is the, uh, the the minority lending record that IMBs have. And, and recently, FHFA decided to require lenders sometime in the future to submit credit scores from both FICO and Vantage Score in the hopes that it will qualify uh, more borrowers for home ownership, particularly those who, who haven't been able to actually get a credit score now. Do you think that's the, the case? Is that a positive uh, move? And, and how might that impact smaller IMBs? Uh, we've, uh, you know, CHLA has supported, uh, you know, bringing in other uh, other credit scoring models. Yeah, we need to reach more qualified people. I remember I, when I was working on financial services committee, we were working on a bill to require public housing agencies to make sure that they report rent payments for people in public housing so they could get credit and improve their credit scores. This is an ongoing uh, process which needs to be done. At the same time, I'm personally a little skeptical that this is going to move the dial in too dramatic a way. I mean, I think it's on the margins, it's going to be positive and we ought to pursue it, but I don't think it's going to be a game changer. The one thing that we are upset about is, is FICO, which is a quasi-monopoly raising their credit score fees by 400% for all but a smattering of like 50 different 50 lenders, which we still are kind of scratching our head over how, how that can be. But you, you've you've been actually very active in the uh, 
the arguments that large lenders get uh, better cuts from uh, service providers than, than smaller. How, how is your campaign in that area coming along? Well, we're, we're excited. Um, we had um, uh, uh, a big victory a few years ago. It was, it was our top initiative. We spearheaded IMB letter campaigns on it to get FHFA creating a permanent policy of GFE parity. Um, because, uh, you know, this is one area where if you discriminate against smaller lenders, yeah, we're hurt, but the borrowers that we serve are hurt also. We just don't think that's, that's appropriate. Uh, you, uh, talked a little bit about some of the, uh, the regulatory burdens that face uh, uh, IMBs, and you regulated it at the state level, and we talked a bit about changes that FHFA makes with, with uh, uh, the, the Fannie and Freddie, how that impacts you. But I know you've also expressed some concerns about the direction of policy being made at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and I wonder if you could share a little bit about some of your, your concerns, what are you troubled with, and, and what are your messages to the CFPB? Great, great question. Just, just understand that we've always supported the CFPB, and there may be a fight in a year or so about whether it's going to go away or not. We think it's important to have, you know, federal standards for consumer protections and someone to make sure that the, the large players don't trample over us because they're not following the rules. And we think that's good for consumers and good for us. But there's, there's a provision in Dodd-Frank that says that the CFPB has to tailor its supervision based on asset size, volume. Uh, risk to the consumer and uh, extent of state regulation. And so our, our, our message is don't put, you know, there's already factors creating consolidation in our business. Don't have duplicative and, and un, you know, things that don't add anything to consumer protection. Don't burden us with a whole bunch of new compliance requirements that are just going to make smaller IMBs non-competitive because we don't have the economies of the compliance economies of scale. So today, last week, we sent a letter on this form contract thing, where the CFPB is proposing to require everyone to submit all their form contracts that might limit um, uh, consumer legal rights. Well, Dodd-Frank says you can't do arbitration. You can't limit rights. So what is the point of creating a new compliance burden uh, when there's no there's no reason why it's needed for for IMBs, particularly for smaller IMBs. And then today, this afternoon, we're sending a second letter that's on this 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 uh, re uh, requirement to report all your agency and court orders. Well, we already do it through the NMLS, so you're just doing duplication, maybe a little different. So our, we're going to have to hire lawyers figure out how does this different from NMLS. No consumer benefit. So, so that's our message. You know, don't we don't mind good regulations. We don't mind good consumer protections. But you have to be cognizant of the small business aspect. That's the way they do banking supervision. That's the way they ought to do IMB supervision. That's our message. Scott, one final question. I may throw you a bit of a curve here. If you could wave a wand and have just one wish granted, I'm safe because it's after the Super Bowl. So you're not going to ask me for a prediction. <laughs> Well, if you could have one wish granted from any of the financial or housing policymakers in America, what would be that wish for your members? Um, look, we're we're a bottom-up organization. We the staff is a conduit. We've everything we've done is try to create members to come up and 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 make policy within our organizations and communicate that federal regulators. All we really want is for regulators 
and, and FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHFA, everyone to listen to our distinct perspective, to, to, to get a chance to listen to where we're coming from and listen to our members, not me, not, not Rob Zimmer. We, I think we do a great job, but it's our members that understand the world and can make and can explain what the things you're doing in Washington, how they affect them directly. And that's, that's really all that I'll, at the end of the day, uh, if we get that, I think we'll do fine on all the other policy issues. Scott, thanks for taking the time today and educating uh, myself and, and our, uh, our, our viewers about uh, the barriers and, and the benefits of uh, IMBs. Thanks, Kurt. I, I appreciate your time.